episode of our Commercial Contracts 2022 podcast, a series of podcasts by S. Stevens and Bolton designed to help you update or improve your terms and conditions, master services agreements or standard terms and outsourcing arrangements. I'm Beverly Flynn, Partner and Head of Commercial and Technology here at S&B, and today I'm joined by Tom Lingard. We're going to discuss confidentiality provisions in standard terms, conditions and outsourcing arrangements. Tom is our head of intellectual property and deals in particular with breach of confidentiality issues uh, in conjunction with myself when it comes to data protection. Tom, thanks for joining me today. No problem. So straight to the nub of it, really. What are the most common issues you tend to see with confidentiality provisions in T's and C's? Well, the most common problem is normally that people think that if you draft a, a confidentiality provision very widely and make it look very draconian, then it's more effective than, than, than one that's narrow. And, it, and in fact, the opposite is true. So um, most confidential information cases fall down when a clause um, is found to be unenforceable. And that's generally because um, it is too wide or it's trying to cover things that uh, aren't in fact confidential. Um, so whilst it's difficult to um, tailor a clause in every single circumstance, um, it's definitely the case that you know wider is not always better in terms of those types of clauses and, and thinking carefully about the actual confidential information that is going to be shared under an agreement, um, which bits of that are valuable and so on is, is very important. And, and if you can adapt those clauses to to fit the circumstances and to sort of retrack really what's going on in practice then that's uh, a very good starting point. Oh, that's understood so one size doesn't really fit all I take it and as commercial lawyers when we're drafting standard T's and C's and MSAs we often see the other side may have imposed a five or ten year limit on confidentiality obligations which um, I have to say we tend to resist do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Again, it, it comes into sort of people slightly misunderstanding, I think, what a confidentiality agreement or a clause is trying to do. If something is a genuine trade secret, you know, if there's a piece of information that is valuable to a client because it is secret, then that should remain the case beyond five years, beyond 10 years. It could be, you know, the case and definitely some of the most famous inverted commas um, trade secrets are, you know, secret recipes for Coca-Cola or Tabasco sauce or whatever it is where they are valuable because they're confidential and they will be confidential for, for years and years. So unless there's a very good reason why the confidentiality of a piece of information will sort of perish after that time, in which case, you know, an expiry can make it seem, um, you know, can sort of make the clause more reasonable. Um, I would generally, you know, if, if there's a chance that long-term valuable information is going to pass under the agreement, then it shouldn't be limited by, you know, by time at all understood again i mean for us as commercial lawyers when we're drafting the confidentiality obligations we often need to make sure that in the standard terms the confidentiality dovetails with the data protection and also with the termination provisions as well as uh, deciding whether or not the limits on liability will apply to a breach of confidentiality um, we don't tend to see these in your kind of standard NDA. Are there any other curveballs or other provisions that you think we should be looking out for? Um, it's not so much the provisions. I mean, in some ways, confidentiality agreements are quite straightforward. If you get the definition of confidential information right and you've got the parties right, so and then you know that, that that's that's half the battle. But what does tend to happen is that clients. Um, 
sort of over rely on a, a basic NDA. So, you know, it's quite common, clients are quite good, if you like, at, at getting, you know, signing NDAs when they start a commercial discussion, but they then sort of forget that it is only an NDA that perhaps was only intended to cover those initial discussions. And they then sort of think that will do for longer, more detailed project uh, projects. So um, it may be the case that, um, you know, th th that uh, an agreement is reached to, for manufacturing or for supply. And in the second phase of the project, after initial discussions, you know, IP will be start to be generated or um, the nature of the information that's being shared will change. And the first confidentiality agreement is not really cut out to, to deal with that sort of thing. Um, so we always try and remind clients to say, okay, well, that, you know, this agreement will take you so far, but you then need to replace those provisions with something more tailored and more appropriate for, for phase two. Um, and the, the, the side effects of that include things like, you know, sometimes clients will come to us and say, well, they'll hope that the NDA gives them some sort of exclusivity um, and, and it can do, but it's not, you know, an NDA isn't an exclusivity arrangement. So if, unless it says in there expressly that um, as a result of the discussions, the parties agree that if the project doesn't go ahead, you know, they won't do something similar with another party, the confidentiality agreement isn't going to give you sort of commercial protection from, from, from an exclusivity point of view. And similarly, from an IP perspective, um, again, we often have clients coming to us saying, well, here's the confidentiality agreement I signed. Um, surely this must mean that you know, now I've parted company with the counter with the counterparty. Um, I own the intellectual property and what was discussed. Well, no, unless that's covered in the confidentiality agreement. And generally, and rightly, you know, they don't tend to cover that as a matter of course. So um, I think the a basic confidentiality agreement can be very effective it can be quite straightforward and the clauses can be you know can be quite easy to put together but it's it's what you allow to happen under that agreement that is is um is important to bear in mind as as projects progress yes actually i agree because often we might discuss with clients that there's no non-circumvent clause in there or no non-compete or um and i have kind of a list of things when I'm looking at an NDA that are not covered that the client might want to think about and that can be things from data protection to um, limits on liability to a non-compete or a post-termination restriction yeah. all of those but I take it that um, in practice the MSA is really or the standard terms is a, is a stronger place to put them once you've actually come to a commercial arrangement. I suppose any practical tips? I often work with you when we're dealing with a, a breach of confidentiality and you're in the, shall I say, in the forefront of either helping to recover that information or deal with the, the out outcome. Any practical tips you'd like to mention? Anything specific? Yeah, well, I think um, one of, you know, to, to sort of pick up again on one of the points made earlier, you have the agreement that sets up your confidential um obligations between parties and there's also obviously an equitable obligation of confidence that can arise even if an agreement hasn't been signed um, but it doesn't really matter what's written on the page if the information gets out anyway you know it gives you a legal recourse but it's it's a sort of that's a second tier response ideally you don't want the information to get out in the first place so um, actually taking practical steps to think about where your confidential information is who has access to it does everyone in the business need to be able to access all of the information about your suppliers, your customers, your pricing, or should that be locked down to a, 
a particular you know, category of employees or a particular level of seniority. And similarly, if you are sharing some of that information because you have to under an agreement, normally a confidential, uh, confidentiality clause or agreement will have a provision in it which deals with um, returning that information at the end of a project. But very rarely do people remember to follow up on that. So um, again, keeping track of where the information is and what it is, is really important. And I think um, that's particularly the case in light of the Trade Secrets Directive, which, um, you know, the, the UK's view when that was implemented was that it didn't really make any material change to the law as it currently was in the UK. But what it did do was introduce um, the, the definition of confidential information from, from TRIPS. And that says that one of the, one of the one of the reasons or one of the qualifying provisions for, for information to be a trade secret is that um, steps have been taken to keep it confidential. So um, carefully monitoring your confidential information not only minimizes the chances of it getting out and you having to rely on the confidentiality agreement in the first place, but it's also now an important qualifying uh, criteria that you know arguably you might need to demonstrate to the court to prove that the, the information qualified for protection as a trade secret. So any it, often it's technical issues and, and IT issues, you know, preventing employees from being able to email uh, information out or using um, USB sticks and things like that, or being able to record when information is downloaded. Those are all really good practical things, which, um, as I say, mitigate the risk of the information getting out and you having to rely on the agreement at all. Oh, thank you, Tom. Well, actually, the the trade secrets point is a good one and, and one that we all need to be mindful of. Uh, it seems to me there's lots to consider when um, dealing with confidentiality obligations, whether they're in an NDA or whether they're in an MSA or T's and C's. And I suppose it also is important not to treat confidentiality clauses as simply boilerplate, which some uh, individuals might be minded to do. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it is it's easy to overlook them and to just uh, I mean it's good that they they are generally included, um, but it's like many of those clauses when you come to rely on it, it's it's good to have been able to give it a bit of attention um, at the outset. Great. Well, thanks for talking with me today, and um, I look forward to working with you in due course. I know we're <laughs> we're busy on quite a few fronts at the moment. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks, Beverly. Thank you for all our listeners for tuning in today. Please do contact me or usual Stevens and Bolton contact if you'd like any further information that we've discussed. Please look out for any future podcasts on issues that may be of relevance to your standard terms and conditions. Thanks for listening.